again. There it is. Okay. All right. So just a couple of things to talk about before we get into the lesson. Hey, guys. Good morning. So, um, I mean, I think some people like to cook chili. I don't know. I like Jewish chili. But on March 13th is a uh, chili cook-off for anybody. It's the third one. I think we've done three. There's three years now. So David Branham, I think there's no like a sign-up or anything. Just, to, just bring your chili. March 13th, bring it into the, into the common grounds. And once you put it on the, on the counter, you can't touch it again. So you can't cheat and come in and, you know, doctor it up later and stuff like that, or mess with other people's. These are, these are Dave Branham warnings, not mine. That's just from him. Talk, talk to him. Um, but anyway, uh, Leslie, and if you want to judge, if you like to eat chili, you know, if you want to judge the best, the sweetest, the hottest, whatever, you know, just let David and Brian know that you want to judge. You want to judge? Huh? Oh, yeah, I'll judge all of them. Okay, well, tell Brian, tell, tell Dave you want to be a judge. Uh, anyway, that's March 13th. Um, it's just for fun. It's not really for anything, just for fun. Not a fundraiser or anything like that. Um, I just noted on here that this coming Wednesday night, um, I'm going to be teaching a four-week series on manuscript evidence, which is why we use the King James Bible in this church. And uh, I'm mainly teaching it for D2. Uh, it's a segment, it's a module for the Discipleship 2 class, and uh, somehow every year I, I have to teach that. Somehow. Um, <laughs> being so good. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. So anyway, so I'm teaching that. If you want to come, you know, everybody's welcome to come. It's not just for D2. I will be in the sanctuary uh, teaching, so I'm taking Wednesday night service. And then on the 16th, so... This, uh, this Wednesday is the 9th, and the following week on the 16th, we're having uh, Lee Carter, who's our, one of our missionaries to uh, Dominican Republic. He's going to come, and he's going to give us maybe 30 minutes of an update on what's going on in his ministry. And uh, then um, him and I are going to have a conversation about the possibility of having a team go to Dominican in the summer or sometime in this year. I don't know when. Um, to go and, and do some outreach and help him plant churches and villages and different places. And, and so I'm not exactly sure how all that works, but if you're interested in going to, on a mission trip, that's a very inexpensive mission trip. I mean, it, I don't think you can fly directly from here to there. Probably fly to Florida and then there, but it's really going to be pretty inexpensive. And um, and he's got a good thing, good way of doing things. He, he, he brings teams in all the time. Sometimes they're medical teams. And he does dental and medical clinics in the villages and stuff. And, and then you would be sharing the gospel with, with the people that are coming to get treated. Um, so anyway, you can hear, hear about what he's got going on. February 19th is our turn to clean again. Um, so that's kind of on our calendar. And then uh, also on February 19th is the Disciplers Luncheon. So if you disciple people or you're an approved discipler, uh, Brian, if you have not in, not signed up, Brian would just want you to sign up so you would be there. I think that's just lunch and then an afternoon, a couple hours, two, three hours of training. Uh, he's got a guest speaker, a pastor from uh, the Pennsylvania area uh, named, uh, what's his name? Okay. Um, Gary Haskell. That's the right name. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, I want to mention about uh, praying for the Arnies for going for going. Um, I should have a better uh, update for you on what's going on with him, but I don't. But just he stopped the chemo. It's 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 not helping. It's making things worse. Um, he's in a lot of pain, and they have basically said we can't keep treating the cancer. So just be in prayer for them. Keep um, keep them in your prayers. And then the Balkans, and Julie talked to Sharon the other day. Yeah, everything's, everything's about the same. They yeah. just, they're just still, their doctor really wants her to stay 
away from people because of COVID and such, and so any other issues that people you know. It's flu season. I know we think so. We don't we don't remember that the flu still floats around. So it's flu season. Um, but it's good to see you. I mean, we missed you the last few weeks. No, I haven't been kicking very high. What's that? I haven't been kicking very high. I just... Well, we're glad you're kicking high enough to get here today. Yeah. Uh, Brian, uh, Brian Johnson, um, I think uh, he just he needs your prayer. He's sick, not feeling good. Um, and, uh, Bob Klein, um, he, he is he has uh, got cancer and he's got a lot of issues going on. The doctors are pre- preparing him for treatment, but I haven't talked to Bob. He's got two scans this week. Yeah. A bone scan and the, a CT. A CT scan. So he just found Last name on it that we have on our list, anyway, as far as for our class is uh, Jeremy Bonison's sister. Uh, Jeremy's up there with her right now in Iowa, is that right? And uh, so she's having a rough time. And uh, so Jeremy needs your prayer for his strength to, to take care of her sister, his sister, and all the needs that are going on and everything and whatever they've got to get going, what needs to do. So just be in prayer for them. The last thing I want to mention is a marriage retreat which is in March, so it's about six weeks, six, six and a half, seven weeks from now. Um, so you can sign up online. Um, we've gone to this hotel, it's the Hyatt, um, Hyatt Hotel over in Olathe, no, Lenexa, right off I-4, I-4, 435 and 87th Street. Um, and um, so that you can sign up, you can come for the sessions only, the night sessions and day sessions on Saturday, or you can stay overnight. That's why the the, the overnight cost is, is high because you're paying for the room that you're staying at. I'd encourage you if you uh, can, you should try to attend that. Uh, usually, pretty good time, and um, there's going to be a lot of people there, not just from HBF, but a lot of people from other churches. Brian has invited, I think, three other churches to to come. And um, the speaker for that is the pastor at uh, Grace Baptist Church in Lee Summit, Brad Nelson. I know him, but I've never heard him speak, but um, it should be a good time. So that's everything else. And, of course, you got the bulletin to look at what's going on there. Uh, so let's read, this, let's read Psalm chapter, chapter 3. Only eight verses. Psalm chapter 3. say of my soul, there is no help in him, for him in God. Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Holy hill. Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousand of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. And uh, we just uh, thank you for the passage that we've read, Lord, that you are a sustainer, you are a protector, you, you take care of us, Lord, and we can find rest in you. Uh, three times you mentioned the word Selah, Lord, as a word of rest, that we can find rest in you. And I do pray, Father, that we're always resting in you and in your word, Lord. And we just ask you to continue to protect us and help us. And we pray for all of the names that are listed, Lord, 
uh, that we have that are members of our class that we're missing to, uh, dearly, Lord, uh, Gwen and Sharon and Bud, or Sharon and Bob, and and uh, pray for Bob Klein, Lord, and and Jeremy's sister and Jeremy, Lord, as they go through what all that needs to be done there, and and uh, for Brian Johnson, Lord, that you would heal him. And so we just ask, Father, that you would help us to always trust in you, Lord, that as we lay down, we wake up, we know that you're sustaining us, Lord, in every every opportunity. We just thank you and praise you for all of that in Jesus' name. Lord, we ask that you would just be with Randy and help him to be able to lift up his voice unto you and to teach this morning and to lift up his head and have the energy that he needs. And we know that he gives you glory in all that he does. And we just are so grateful and thankful for Randy and Julia and all they've done for our class, Lord. And um, just be with them and strengthen them. Father, as we see here in um, verse 3, Lord, that you are a shield for us, Lord, and we're thankful for that, that, that you stand before us, Lord, things that want to try to cause us harm. You, should, you are a shield for us, and Lord, and we can lift up our head uh, and, and see, see our glory in you. And we just pray, Father, Lord, many of us have, every, I think every one of us, Lord, have cried out to you with our voice, and you have heard us. And that's just an awesome thing, Lord, that we know that when we pray, the living God, the creator of the world, the creator of the universe, the giver of life, responds to our prayer. That's a powerful thing to know every time we bend the knee to pray, Lord. We're thankful for that. We ask now that you would just bless the teaching today, not just here, but also in the, in the elementary wing and in the other Bible fellowships, and especially, Lord, this morning for the main service when we may have guests for the very first time that have never been confronted with the truth of the loving God desiring their souls. We pray, Father, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I am sorry. I'm just really out of it this morning. Um, they wore me out yesterday. We made, I don't know how many Bibles, but I was pretty tired when we got done. I guess I didn't get enough rest. But anyway, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 is where we're at. We are, believe it or not, finishing chapter, our study in 2 Corinthians. It's been a good, uh, long, I don't know, almost six months probably. Maybe a little bit longer, depending on the breaks that we had in between. But we are we are finally at the end of the study, and um, for me, I hope it's for you too. But for me, it's been a really good study. I've really enjoyed trying to <coughs> decipher what Paul is talking about and how to apply it in our life. And so it's been really good. So we have arrived. I call it a confirming witness because basically Paul is confirming some things about being a witness for the Lord. And so we're at the last chapter, and we've studied the lessons regarding that being a transparent witness. That's the study, the focus of the study is, is being transparent as a believer so that other people can see Christ. And he had been working, Paul had been working with the church at Corinth for a considerable amount of time. Just as a reminder or review as we wrap up, he arrived on his second missionary journey in Acts chapter 18. His goal for then was for the church at the time when he planted it, from the first day until now, was to produce and exactly what we're trying to produce here, a solid, faithful, and pure church. That's what Paul's goal has always been. That's what, that's what should be our goal that we would produce. And you all have a part, part to play. You may not realize it, but you have a part to play in producing a church. Not, just, not a new church plant, this church. We all are involved. We all contribute some way, somehow, to doing things, to contribute to making a solid um, faithful and pure church. And to this end, Paul visited the church more than one time. Um, in fact, he, he visited this church more than any other, I believe. Uh, he's written more letters to this, to this church than any other church. And what he wanted the church to know is the same thing that what Christ wants you to know about your church, is to be transparent. To be transparent in our life, meaning, what I mean by being transparent, is that you live your life in a way that others see Christ in you, not only do they see Christ, but they desire the kind of relationship that you have with Christ. 
So basically what I'm saying is, Paul wants the church to be desirable, to be transparent enough. Paul wants you, God wants you to be transparent enough that people would see Christ in your life and they say, as you probably have heard many times we've talked about this in the Testament, I want what that person has. I know that uh, we've all probably experienced that at some point in time, both on giving on the on both sides of that, where people have said to you, well, maybe you have said to somebody, I want what you have, whether you're already saved or not. But their their relationship with God is, is, is through Christ is maybe a little bit more than where yours is, and you'll say, I want more. I want what you have. How do I get there? And, and at the same time, somebody's going to look at you and say, I want what you have. They may not say it directly to you, but they're saying it in their heart. I want what that, I want what this person in my life, or however they're in your life, however you're in their life, they, they want that. That's what Paul wants. He wants the church to be that kind of church. Unfortunately, shortly after he left, there was problems that arose. It didn't take long for false teachers and false false uh, apostles to enter into the church and contaminate the church. And we've had, even in this church, we've had people float in and out, and I've told you this before, and I'm not, no names mentioned, but we've had people float in and out of this church that come in and bring in heresy and false teaching because they come from another church. I mean, well, this is how we did it at our church. This is what we taught at our church. We don't believe what you're teaching here. Well, then don't come here. If you're already claiming to be a believer. Anyway, uh, so it didn't take long for that to happen in, in Corinth. And the Judaizers and the false teachers, they turned the ear and the heart of the church. And I mentioned this verse a couple times in the last few weeks, Acts chapter 17, verses 13 to 14. Not specifically talking about Corinth, but this is the same pattern that these Jews followed. Uh, when they knew that God was being preached at, uh, at Corinth, I'm changing the words in this verse for just a moment, because uh, actually it says in Berea, but Paul... Paul was preaching at Corinth, and they came, and they stirred up the people, and immediately the brethren sent Paul away. And so um, so the church had been turned away from grace and mercy and toward the Old Testament law. Now, we don't know all that they said. We, we don't have a document that says this is the te- false teaching that they were teaching. Um, God would never document all of that stuff. He wouldn't put that in his word uh, unless he's using them as an illustration of, uh, of, of it. But he didn't do that this time. So we don't know what they were saying, but we do know that Paul's character was attacked, his message was attacked, his window, his wisdom was attacked. Basically, they refer to him as a false teacher and a fool. So in this, it's a letter. I lost my place here. So this letter is the most personal letter that Paul has written to any of the church. He speaks from his heart in this letter. In fact, this letter is a more of an autobiography of Paul and his position on everything that he that he brings up more of an autobiography than anything else that we've read about Paul. Because um, a lot of it he uses his own personality and his own circumstances as an illustration in almost every chapter at some point in time. That's why he was trying to be transparent with the church and that's why we're using the study, uh, the title to be transparent. Uh, so Paul speaks from his heart and his soul and he offers grace and peace from God in Christ. He offers grace to address our sin. He offers peace once our sin is dealt with. And that's why he's just, throughout the, throughout the letter, he's talking about that. So this is a letter that teaches by example rather than, he doesn't just do a, he's not doing a, a, a thesis on, on doctrine here, although he does write about doctrine. It's not a really historical book, although there's a lot of history here as well because we are tracking where Paul has been and what Paul is doing. Um, but it's more of an illustrative application of the doctrine that we that we almost that we all could call this letter an autobiography, as I said. So it speaks of a real Christian living out discipleship and spiritual triumph. That's what this letter is about. So let's let's go ahead and we'll jump into it, starting in verse one and two, and we will finish this chapter today, as um, long as I can make it. So Paul, verse one, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither. Nope, that's Galatians. All right, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians, thirteen, verse one. This is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and foretell you, as if I were present the second time. And being absent now, I write to you to them, which heretofore have sinned, and to all other 
that if I come again, I will not spare. That's a powerful statement in those, in those two verses here. Paul's intention is to come back to Corinth to address their issues. The church, um, he's coming to the church, and this is going to be, he referenced, he says the number, this is the third time I'm going to come to you. So he's already been several times, and I, we'll talk about that in just a minute. The first verse, verse 1, actually refers all the way back. In fact, the context of chapter 13 really begins in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. So if you go back to 14, you'll see where he says, Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you. For the children not not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will be, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. But it, I'm going to go up. Well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I was going to read all the way down to, to chapter 13, but I will, I'll skip that for now. So these issues that Paul was so concerned about. And he's already addressed throughout the entire letter, speaking of the people he wants to take the church back to, who wants to take the church back to the law. Those, those false teachers and false apostles had come in, they tickled their ears, they, they, they stirred up their hearts, and they, they said, well, you really need to be, even if you were a Gentile, you need to first go back and be a Jew, and then go back to the Old Testament law, otherwise you could not be saved. That's the gist of everything that Paul is saying, that they're saying, and messing up with everything that he's taught them. So he's so concerned about this that he's already addressed through this whole letter and talked about all these kind of things. And the reason that there was a problem, you, we don't, you and I know we don't need to go back to the Old Testament law. And there's a lot of churches, some call themselves Baptists, some call themselves some other undenominational name, and some trying to mask what they believe. But they are really trying to take people back to the Old Testament law, even today. But let me give you a couple of reasons why we don't need to go back to the Old Testament law. Just very simple. Christ has fulfilled the law. We don't need to go back to the law. Christ has fulfilled the law, and there is no need to return. In Matthew, just a couple of quick verses. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus Christ himself said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. He's establishing that he is the fulfillment of the law. And then he also says in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, uh, and he said unto them, now this is about the Sabbath, you know, because there are churches out there that don't believe you should worship on Sunday. I think you should worship on Saturday. So they're honoring a Sabbath, which is what the Jews were supposed to do. That's another way of taking you back into the law. But Jesus Christ said in Mark 2, 27, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So he basically says, you guys got, you flipped the, you flipped the script on what Sabbath is all about. That's Jesus talking. And so those people that are, whatever they want to call themselves, think that they, you know, worship is done on Saturday. Uh, Sundays are just a day. Well, they have flipped the script. And it's time to get it back again. That's what Paul wants to do with this, this whole intent. So he, Paul intends on this trip, not only to go to shut down the false teachers, but also to go and to call out the sin of the church and the sinners that are infesting the church. You know, unfortunately, in a church, when you have a bunch of confusing teaching going on, sin creeps in very easily and starts to materialize and manifest and make make all kinds of problems for the church. So he's got to deal with both sin and and false teaching. He needed to make sure that they knew that he cared for them. And at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, notice again, I read that verse, but notice again, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 17, verse 14. He says, I'm ready to come. That's what he's making a point of. But he says, I seek not yours, but you. For the children not ought, uh, ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. He said, hey, look, I'm not coming to... I'm coming for you. I'm not just coming to the church. I'm coming for you. You know, Christ said the same thing about every one of us. He said at some point in time, he's coming for you. He's going to come back and get you. That's what Paul wrote about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You know, Jesus Christ, you're not left. The church at Thessalonica believed or misunderstood uh, that 
just because you're dead and in the ground doesn't mean that God is done with you. He's going to come back and take you. Every one of us, he's going to take us all. So that's a positive thing to think about. And he feared his coming in verse 20, would find it, oh, 2 Corinthians 12, uh, would find the church had rejected him. He was fearful that they were going to reject him, but instead of rejecting their sins, which he had listed. So look in verse 20 then, he says, Verse tw- of chapter 12, For I fear not, or I'm sorry, I fear less when I come, I shall not find you as I would. What does he mean by that? I, I, my desire is to find you clean, pure, solid. That's what he's looking for. He says, I fear that I'm not going to find that. He says, I shall, I shall not find you as such as I would, and that I will, that I shall be found, and that I shall be found unto you such as you would not. Lest there be debates, envies, wrath, strife, backbitings, whispering, uh, swelling, and tumults. So he starts listing some of those sins there, which are also listed in Galatians chapter, I think, 5, as well, a long list of sins. So um, he wants to make sure that he knew that the, ch- that, he cared for, that, he, that the church knew that he cared for them because he loved them. He also said in verse 15 of chapter 12, I will be gladly, I will be verily. I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. He says, the harder I love you, the less you care about me. That's what he's going on. He said, okay, so anyway, back to chapter 13. The number three, the number three, I think everybody's aware, the number three is a significant number in the Bible. And so just to make a real quick reference to that, the number three is very, very important in God's Word. Uh, it represents God's power and perfection as the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. It speaks of a pattern that reveals God in many things. So, reference, you know, chapter Romans, chapter one, verse twenty, and then the invisible things of Him, of Him, meaning God, are clearly seen in the things He hath created. Even as, even as, uh, uh, I lost the verse in my head. Even as the power in Godhead, I think is how it goes. I should finish that right. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Okay, so it speaks of a pattern of God, and three stands for a lot of things. It stands basically for solid, real, complete, substantial, perfect, and divine. Let me just give you that list real quick again. It stands for solid, real, complete, substantial, perfect, and divine. That's the number three. All numbers in the Bible have, have a meaning, and the three is that. Uh, three stands for things that are solid. Let me give you a couple of examples, and, and we're not going to dwell on this pattern because we could teach on this on numerology for for a long time. But time, time is three things: time is past, present, and future. Music is three things. I'm not a musician, but harmony, melody, and rhythm. Uh, uh, colors, you know, uh, every color comes from three basic primary colors: red. I think they're called red, blue, and green, yellow. Is that right? Okay. And then Christ is also known as prophet. He's known as a prophet, as a priest, and as a king. And just real, one last thing in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, you are complete if you're saved. You are complete. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit. So there's much more that we could really say about the number three, but I'm not going to get into it anymore for the sake of time. And, and uh, that's a whole other study um, to look at that. But let me give you a review of the visits, because he said three, he said third time. So when did he come? Number one, Paul first visited Corinth on his second missionary journey in Acts chapter eighteen. <clears throat> so that's when he came to the church, uh, and uh, is after he left Athens and he he landed in Corinth and he planted the church and he was there about um, eighteen months. He came back again. He left there at the end of his second missionary journey. He went home and he came back. His second time that he came back home, he's believed to be a few years later after he left Corinth. Now, there's no verse that says, this is my second time. So let me kind of kind of give you something to look at. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter... Um, well, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. 4, verse 19, sorry. 1 Corinthians 4, 19. So Paul's already come. He's already written this letter... And he says in this letter, chapter 4, verse 19, I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, 
and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. So it's all a reference even there of the people that are messing with the church already. He said, I'm going to come and see what, what you know, just who do they think they are. Um, okay, that's 2 Corinthians, um, or 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 19. Now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Sometimes we have to do a lot of cross-referencing of things to see where, where stuff is. But 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, it says that he will not come again in heaviness. He says, but I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who, who is he then that maketh me glad? But the same which is made sorry by me. Okay, so, in second, so that verse says that he will not come again in heaviness, indicating... He did come a second time. So I will not come again. So he came out. He came a second time already, but it was a hard trip, and he didn't want to come. And he didn't want another hard trip. He was kind of. Remember, we talked about three letters or four letters that Paul wrote. The the, the first one was lost. The second one was the long one, First Corinthians. The third one was what we call the lamented letter. And the fourth one was Second Corinthians, the last letter. So all all of them uh, there. And so, um, he talks about he's gonna, he didn't want to come back again. And look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2. Talk about where we're at. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 2. I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time. As if I was present the second time. He was present the second time. So that's actually where we know that he's already made two trips to Corinth. I told you before and foretell you as I as if I were present the second time and being absent now, so he was there a second time, now he's absent, he's not there. I write to them which heretofore have sinned and to all other that if I come again, if I come again, that will be the third time, I will not spare. So it's most likely that Paul wrote what he we what we call the lamented letter after hit this second trip that was a hard trip for him, and he, he dealt harshly <coughs> with the church and those people. Um that would be the second letter that we lost. That was actually lost. It's not part of Scripture. So his final trip came. His third trip came after writing Second Corinthians, where he made reference to his plans to come again for a third time, which is what we read already in chapter twelve, verse fourteen, and chapter thirteen, verse one. This third trip was after Paul departed from Ephesus. Remember when he was in Ephesus for a while? <clears throat> he had been teaching. And ultimately, if I go to Acts chapter 19, or Acts chapter 20, let me make sure I get the right chapter. Yeah, chapter 20, starting in verse 1. <coughs> after the uproar, in chapter 20, verse 1 of Acts, after the, and after the uproar was ceased, that will be the uproar in, in Ephesus, because he preached and people got saved and they started casting out their, their idols and their, their, their silver statues <coughs> of false gods. So he, called a, he caused a ruckus there. And it says, After the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him his disciples and embraced them and departed for, to go to Macedonia. And when he had gone over these, those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came unto Greece and there abode three months. That would be back in Corinth the third time. And when the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail to Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. That was when he headed him back on his final journey, his final mission trip. Okay, so just wanted to kind of lay those out to you because sometimes people are like, well, did he ever come a third time or a second time or how all that worked? And that's kind of historically how all that did track. So he came, he's going to come a third time. Why is he going to come? Back to, third, back to chapter 13, verse 3 and 4. It says, since, since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, that's, that's almost their whole issue. The, 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 the false teachers had basically conf, confused the church members whether Paul had ever seen Christ or not, whether Paul was a believer, whether Paul knew what he was talking about. He said, okay, since you, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you were it is not weak, but is mighty in you, for though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of 
of God. For we, are, we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. So he, now he's, now, so I go, okay, you, you're, you're challenging me. Let me just tell you where, where all of this comes from. This is God's power, actually, in evidence. So the struggle in the church was a question of who to follow. They're just, they're, now they're like, well, I don't know, should I follow Paul? Remember back in 1 Corinthians, when there's like, some are for Paul, some of our Paulus, and some of, you know, and it's like, you still have that problem. After, after all these letters, after all this time, after me sending Titus and sending others and, and trying to convince you of the truth, you still have a problem. You don't know who to follow. So as we've already seen, that there was a time when Paul was the undisputed leader of the church. But after his departure, instead of living out what they knew to be true, they turned their ears to the false teachers. And what happened to them is what Paul warned about to Timothy, told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. He says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall, not, and shall be turned unto fables. So Paul, is, Paul warned t- Timothy because he's seen it happen in churches already. Their lost faith in the leader that introduced them to Christ is now now has allowed the church to demand proof of power. They're saying, Paul, prove, who are you? Prove, prove who you say you are. They're challenging him to prove it. And the way he answers them leaves the impression that, that they are even doubting the strength of Christ himself. When you, when you read what he said in 3 and 4, it almost as if like, that yet he, that he liveth by the power of God, for we are all weak in him. You know, maybe go back to verse 3. Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which you were is not weak, but in mighty is mighty in you. See, he's he's saying, hey, the same Christ that's in me is in you, and you're doubting me. You should know already. Okay, so anyway, um, that's the tone back in verses three and four. He, he kind of he's very harsh in these verses here. He's he's tired of playing games with this church. In verse 3, two, he says two things in verse 3. You seek proof of Christ, then he says you should look at yourself. Are you saved? By what power? Are you saved by the power of going back to the back to the Old Testament and, and offering <coughs> sacrifices? Is that the power? You're, no, you're saved by the power of Christ himself. In verse 4, he said, yes, Christ was crucified. Yeah, and it looked like he was weak because he was crucified, but don't, don't fool yourself. Because he lives, Christ lives by the power of God. We should never forget that either. Now, when we're doubting whether Christ is really in our life and whether Christ is really has the power to do what the book claims that he's going to do, just look at your own life. And so what has Christ already done for you? Well, first he saved you. I mean, if nothing else, I mean, if you doubt your salvation, we should talk. But if you don't doubt your salvation, then you know that it was the power of God that accomplished what he did in your life. The power of God. In you. If you don't, if you doubt me, just look at yourself. If you doubt Pastor Brian, look at yourself. Are you saved? By what power? That's kind of where he's going with this. So he goes on. It's really interesting because Paul spoke of the power of God five times in his letters to the Corinth, to the church at Corinth. And I don't think I have them all in your notes, but let me just, I think I, I had them in there. Are they in there? For the blanks? I must have got rid of the blanks. Okay, let's just, 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 1, verse 18. We'll just kind of do this survey real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to, to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is what? The preaching is power, is the power of God. Preaching is the power of God. So that's, if you had a blank, preaching is the word that goes in there. That's their biggest criticism of Paul. They didn't believe in the they didn't believe that he had the power of God. But he's the preacher. And he's preaching with the word of God, which is the power of God. Now go go to same chapter, verse twenty four. He said, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, 
the power of God and the wisdom of God. So what goes in that blank, if you had one, would be Christ. Christ is, emphasize the word is, Christ is the power of God. And in chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says again, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Your faith. Your faith is only strong enough about how much you believe in the power of God. If you don't believe the power of God, then your faith is fairly weak, and maybe not even existent. Then as he says in 2 Corinthians, this is a little bit longer one, 2 Corinthians um, chapter 6, verse 7. And really what I need to do in this passage is go back to verse 4 and start reading. And I want to read down through verse 12. 2 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 4. But in all things are proven ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, and in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by the knowledge, of, by the long-suffering, by the kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, and unknown yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as paint as as power as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged, ye are straightened in us, but you are but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Because all of this happened in your life. That's what Paul is saying. Why? Because verse 7. By the word of truth, which is the power of God, we've already seen. By the power of God, which is just his power. By the armor of righteousness, which is protection and so on. All of those things happened. Paul wanted the church to understand. We, we know what the power of God does. We already understand that. So back to chapter 13. <clears throat> He says in verse 3, Ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in us. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. So Paul hit on that power of God emphasis again. That would be the fifth time he mentioned that. So let me just ask you this question. What is power of God? What is power? What is that power? The word power is translated by the Greek word. It's translated from the Greek word and I don't know if, I think, is it dumas? Dunamis. Which also gives us the word dynamite and dynamic. That's where we get the, you know, dynamite's pretty powerful. Dynamic means you have a powerful personality. And it can be translated as well as mighty works. Power of God is mighty works. And the idea with the power of God, it implies the actions of such magnitude that they inspire a sense of wonder. Um, when you like, wow, that's awesome. You're actually referencing God's power when you say that, when you're saying, wow, that's awesome. And so let me give you three things really about the power of God. By the power of God, all things were and are created. That's Romans chapter 1, verse 20. We already quoted that. By all things, all things were, power, were, were and are created. Second thing to know about the power of God it is the gift of eternal life. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. The gospel is the power of God for, for, for life. And then uh, in the last one, uh, this, is, this, is a little bit, this is a little bit different, but let me just give you this for, for the sake of giving it to you. You know, Mary was impregnated by the power of God. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the, the, uh, the angel said to Mary, by the power of God, you will be with child. Uh, okay, so like many Christians today, the Corinth, the Corinthian church is being called out for their lack of belief that the God, that God's power is even at work. Too many people. I think that's part of the reason why too many churches have drifted away from teaching doctrine, teaching truth, using the King James Bible because they don't really believe in it, in the, that the power is there. So they just kind of go through a motion and they fake everybody out. It looks good on the surface, but they're not. There's no, there's no depth in their in their doctrine. It's the same way as the Israelites. You remember what they did back in Numbers chapter fourteen, or really most of Numbers. We won't take the time to turn there, but in Numbers, remember when they they murmured against Moses 
in the wilderness. They challenged Moses' authority. And they, they said, who do you think you are? I mean, we're, we're, we're Israel too. We're God's people too. What makes you so special, Moses? And then they were challenging. That's kind of what happens here in the church of Corinth. They're murmuring against Paul. And so he turns their challenge on themselves. Just like Israel did with Moses, the church was really challenging God. And, then, and Paul says, okay, you can challenge me, but you're really, you're really addressing God in his challenges. So then he gets into verses 5 to 8. He kind of gives a solution uh, to your under, to misunderstanding of God's power. He says, verse 5, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not that your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in ye, except ye be reprobates? But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that ye do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do what is honest, through what, though, what, through, though we be as reprobates. He said, even if I am a bad person, don't worry about me. Focus on you and God. Focus on your relationship with God. Don't worry about what's happening with somebody else. In verse 8, for we can do nothing against the truth, but, but for the truth. That's an interesting statement. We'll mention that here in just a moment. So first thing Paul says is to examine yourself. It's often easier to discount what God is doing in our life as a lie, a falsity, an unsubstantiated miracle, and so on. Yet there's really only one way to know what God has and is doing in your life, and that is by you looking at what, you're, what is happening in your life right now. Is God moving? So we celebrated the Lord's table last week. Um, and we shared the bread and the juice, which is done for one reason. Why do we do that? Well, it says to remember, but, you know, a little bit more personal level, so you can examine yourself. And Paul said, you need to examine yourself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 to 28, Paul wrote, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat that bread and drink of that cup. After he's examined himself. So to examine yourself is to put yourself on trial. Nobody wants to do that though. Nobody wants to put themselves on trial. They don't want to see their actions match what God's word says. They don't want to see that. They, they, because they already know, I'm not actually doing what God is telling me to do. I know that. I'm, so I'm not going to go into the Bible. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to read. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to do all that. Because I don't want to get close to God knowing that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But examine yourself and make a change. Paul is calling on the church to look at themselves to see if they have done if they've been deceived and by who, him or them. And then he points to their fear that he is not who he says he is to them. He points to their fear that he is not who he says he is to him, but to them. But he says to them, they, you're the proof of everything that I had done in your life. Remember what he told the church in Galatians chapter 6, verse 4. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself and not in another. You should find your own rejoicing in what God is doing in your life, not find your rejoicing in what God is doing in somebody else's life. Because you're stealing their thunder. Don't do that. Examine yourself. And then he says to prove yourself. And there's two different things here. Examining and proving are two different things. To examine is to put yourself through uh, a, a lesser intense of the proving of yourself. And so it's a little bit, so you're examining. To prove means to be subject to what is being tested, to the power of heat. To, to prove something, you have to put heat to it. You know, we use this expression, you got you on the hot seat. Why do we say things like that? Um, you know, we, so why? Because proving is a hot seat type of thing. The word refers to trying the trying of metal with heat. And the implication is to um, test your metal. You heard that expression before, testing your metal? Now that's okay, so you can make sure your metal is hard and strong and will sustain what you're building with it. But your metal is also you, your character, your 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 behavior, testing your metal, proving out your metal. That you're you're hard, you're solid, you're strong, you're a solid, strong Christian, and you're hard, 
Uh, and you can prove that because you can put yourself to the test. Paul says to test your metal, which is not a not the phrase testing your metal is not a word in scripture. Um, but the point is valid. The point is to validate, to prove to yourself that what you, where you stand in your beliefs. You know, uh, don't don't choose another person's. Well, I believe because this is what Brian says. You know, some people do that. Uh, why do you, why do you believe what well, my pastor teaches? But what do you believe? Well, this is what they say at my church. No, 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 no. What do you believe? Maybe you don't believe what the church says. If you believe what the church says, then then you need to live out, examine yourself, prove yourself that that is your belief, not just your church's belief. Do you live what you believe, or do you just acknowledge a belief without compelling reason to own it? That's what I'm talking about. That's what Paul's challenging the church is. In verse 6, he goes on and he says, Paul was confident. And that's a blank, I think, in your word. Paul was confident in the results of your personal trial that they are not reprobates. He said, look, if you just look at yourself, you know you're not a reprobate. Our own confidence in the Lord and his power will move us in the right direction. And then in chapters, and then verse 7 and 8, which I think we read that already. And then, now I pray to you that you do not evil, that do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates, for we can do nothing against the truth, but for, but for the truth. So he speaks, and he says, we, the word, he's using the phrase we, meaning Paul and his team of ministers. They're being tested, not just to approve of Paul, but even if they're not approved, you should do the right thing. Ye, the word ye, should be the ye, you are doing honest. And even if we are found a reprobate, it is most important that you stay on the right track. And if you put if you put your house in order, he will not need to provoke his pastoral authority over the church. And then he says in verse eight, to live in truth daily. You know, it's not possible to discipline truth. It's an interesting thing to think about. It's not possible to discipline truth. You only discipline lies and sin and behavioral problems. That's what you discipline. You don't discipline truth. He says he can do nothing against the truth. That's what Paul said. There is no reason to levy an apostolic authority on the church if they're living in truth. I don't need to come and rule against you at all. I don't need to put you on trial. I don't need to prove you out. If you're living in the truth, if if your life matches the word, then there's no reason to prove anything out. There's no test for that. And he says in verses 9 and 10, we are glad when we are weak, and ye are strong. And this also we wish, even your perfection. Therefore I write these things, being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. So if Paul found the church and examined it and it was proven and they were living in the light of the truth, he would be so glad because this is what he was hoping for anyway, was that they would do that. He didn't come... He didn't want to have to come in sharpness like he did in the second journey. He didn't want to come that way. He would rather come to edify, which he actually, that's kind of how he came the first time when he planted the church. It was to edify, which is a lot easier when the church is strong for the Lord. And then he wraps up the whole lesson up in verses 11 to 14, and we'll, we'll finish with that. He says, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints salute you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion with the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen. And he closes that up. So that's, so we got just a couple minutes and then we'll finish up here. So this is kind of an interesting thing. These final words are Paul's farewell and he gives six encouraging last thoughts. So I'm going to share them with you. Six encouraging last thoughts as we conclude this study. Be perfect. That's what he says. Be perfect. That's pretty cool. Which means a desire that every disorder be removed from their life and everything be found in its rightful place. It doesn't mean you're perfect, perfect. It just means that you're you're living and walking in everything that you claim to believe, and you act the way that the Word of God says. Your your word, you match the Word. That's perfect. He says, be of good comfort. So let the promises of the gospel ease you into any circumstance, and don't let the circumstance steal your comfort. 
Now, you know, I've been challenged really for the last two and a half years now with my with my cancer, and and I, all I can do is, is is just try to be find comfort in this, knowing that whatever this is, I'm still serving. It was hard. I feel a whole lot better right now than I did when I walked in the door this morning. I tell you that right now. And uh, and so, um, be of good comfort. God is the power of God is in you. Use that to get through whatever you're trying to get through. Then he says, "Be of be of one mind." So their distraction was was because of division. Division distracts. Division causes us to be you know you know. Jesus Christ said, who can serve two, man, two masters? Well, you can't. You can't really. So be, be of one mind. He, Paul wrote to the Philippian church in chapter 2, verse 2. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one mind, and one accord of one mind. And that phrase, that, that word, be of one accord, that's an interesting word. It's a word that's used to describe the start of the church in the book of Acts. Uh, it, it, the word accord is actually used 12 times about the church, being of one accord in the book of Acts. So be one accord. Number five um, is uh, to live in peace. Don't be, don't, I mean, if you find yourself in contention with somebody, put it aside. Reject contention among the body. Seek unity with each other. I mean, I know sometimes that's hard to do, but that is what we're, that's part of the Lord's Supper is that we are unified. In verses 12 and 13 is an encouraging word. It says, greet each other with a holy kiss. Now, this is not a kiss of familiarity as if the husband and the wife or kissing on your child or whatever. That's not the kind of kiss he's talking about. This, this holy kiss signifies a warm affection for each other. It says you care about each other. Four times Paul mentions a holy kiss in the scripture. I'll just give you the verses. We don't have time to turn there. Romans chapter 16, verse 16. He says, uh, he talks about greeting the people with a holy kiss. 1 Corinthians 16, 20. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 26. And this is, the, this is how he wraps up. The, the verse 14 is just, an, it's really kind of a cool. It's the only time that Paul wrote, closes a letter this way. It's the only time. <coughs> He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you. No, he doesn't say that to any... In fact, go back to chapter 1, verse 1. And this is kind of how Paul opens up all of his letters. Actually, verse 2. It says, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have time to bounce it to all the other letters. But that's kind of how he opened the letter, right? Grace and peace from the Lord, from God and the, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of the only times that I can that I can think of, whether introduction or conclusion, and Paul references both the Holy Spirit, Christ, and God all at one time. He says, says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So grace from Christ, love from God, and communion from the Holy Spirit. That's what he's asking. That's what he's desiring. That's what he wants the church to have. Those three things. Grace from Christ, love from God, and communion through the Holy Spirit. That's what makes a church solid. If all of us could just live like that. Grace, love, and communion. And we would, much of the stuff that Paul has written about would just vanish away. So that's the story. That's the study on First Corinthians about being transparent. I pray that it was a blessing to everybody. A couple minutes over, so let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll dismiss. And we, I don't know where we're going over the next few weeks. Um, I've been praying. God hasn't answered yet about what our next study will be, but we'll we'll still be meeting and we'll still be in the Word. I don't know what kind of a main study we're going to. I've got a couple of ideas. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this passage of scripture. Thanks for closing it up, Lord, which was an incredibly encouraging thought. Uh, Grace from Christ, love from God, and communion through the Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, that we could always have that with each other, and that we would have it with uh, with other churches, and that we would have it, Lord, as as a representation of our transparency uh, for you. And I pray, Father, that every one of us would be able to show that that. That to other people, grace, love, and communion.
through the Godhead. What a, what a transparent life we would live as we just let that shine through on ourselves and others. But it would be such a huge blessing, Father. Help us to be that way. I mean, just can't even begin to think just how that could be if all of us would live, live out an experiential and evidence of grace, love, and compassion, uh, communion. We just ask, Father, for your strength in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here online. See you later.